This is Urban Awakening, and I'm your host, Jose Reynoso. Today I'm joined by Matt Frazier. He is well known as the No Meat Athlete. He started a journey 10 years ago, and after hearing his story and interviewing him, I'm very, very inspired to continue on my own path because he's a great example of following that inner trust, that inner calling to go beyond your comfort zone, go beyond your known territories and known potential and expand into the known and take the leap into the brand new world that is always waiting for us to be discovered and conquered. This is a great interview because he shares with us how this journey has not only changed, of course, the way he eats and the way he interacts with his food and how he's teachings have inspired thousands around the world, but also how this has changed his ways of perceiving the world, how his emotions have changed, and how this has become also a spiritual path, even though it might not seem like that at the first glance. Just to give you a little bit of background of Matt, he's an author, an entrepreneur, and vegan ultramarathoner whose books have been published in five languages and sold over 100,000 copies. He's best known as the founder of the No Meat Athlete, a plant-based fitness blog, podcast, and community. He and his work have been featured in books, including Rituals, Finding Ultra, Brendan Brazier's Thrive Foods, Seth Godin's What to Do When It's Your Turn, Juliana Hever and Ray Cronice's Complete Idiot's Guide to Plant-Based Nutrition. Kathy Freston's Clean Protein, print magazines such as Runner's World and Trail Runner. In 2015, Greatest, which is a website, named Matt one of the 100 most influential people in health and fitness. Matt works full-time on his business in Asheville, North Carolina, where he lives with his wife, two young children, and a rescue dog. This was the first time I had the pleasure of chatting with Matt. I've been following his adventures for a while already. And you know, I was very curious to see how is the human aspect of this entrepreneur that has touched so many people's lives around the world. And it was really interesting to see how the longer he's on this path, the simpler he wants to live his life. We talk about how he's adopting a more minimalistic lifestyle, how his smoothies are getting simpler and simpler, which doesn't mean boring or dull or flavorless. It just means finding beauty within simplicity. And we also talk about what is the spiritual component of this journey that he has embarked on. And um, it's a very beautiful interview. I'm very excited to share it with all of you. And I definitely suggest checking out his No Meat Athlete website, which is nomeatathlete.com. Also, you can find him on Twitter at No Meat Athlete. And also, uh, there's a Facebook fan page, The No Meat Athlete, on Facebook. As always, if you like the interview, if you like this podcast, show some support and subscribe, rate, and comment on this episode. 
If you're listening to this on any of the audio platforms, make sure to also visit the YouTube channel for Urban Awakening where you can find the video interview with Matt, which I always love having the video aspect because you can feel some of the emotions and um, almost feel that you were part of the interview. If you want to get more information regarding our retreats and journeys around the world, visit samadijourneys.com. You will find the links for Matt's books and resources in the description of this interview. Blessings to all. Enjoy the interview. Welcome, Matt. It's a pleasure to have you in Urban Awakening. Uh, it's a long-anticipated interview. Uh, personally, I've been focusing more on working on my physical body and also like uh, experimenting with new high-performance uh, plant-based diets or solutions. And I find that the work you've been doing, it's uh, crucial because nowadays on Instagram and Google or YouTube, you can find so many people raving about new approach to plant-based diet. But, you know, when you put it to test doing long endurance running and your book, which has sold over 100,000 copies in five languages, which is the No Meat Athlete, you can tell that there's, there's some uh, truth in it. So welcome. Thank you. Yeah, thanks a lot, Jose. I'm excited to be here and uh, excited to, to dig in and talk about all these things for sure. Awesome. So um, most of the information uh, regarding how you became vegan, it's probably online, but why didn't you tell for anybody that doesn't know you, uh, how, how do you start on this? I, I know you mentioned something about Tony Robbins and switching into vegetarian <laughs> diet. What, what was it that Tony Robbins mentioned? What? Sure. So to go back even further than that, um, I, I was kind of motivated for, for really first for ethical reasons. Like a lot of people think that I got into it for health because that's what I do online. It's all about performance and health. Um, but actually the very first motivation I had was because I was reading a few books. Uh, I think I read, it was a Richard Dawkins book, The God Delusion, mm -hmm. and another book about consciousness by this guy named Douglas Hofstadter. I really like mathematical kind of approach because um, I was in grad school for math mm -hmm. at the time. And uh, I just, I just somehow got this urge, like this feeling that I should not be eating animals. Like I just, I just started to feel wrong really for the first time in my life. I'd never really cared about that before. Um, but you know, here I was at like age 25 or something. And I just, just suddenly felt like I should not be doing this anymore. But that was a huge obstacle I thought because I was training to qualify for the Boston marathon. That was like my big mm -hmm. goal at that time. I'd been working on it for five or six years at that point. Um, so it was definitely like an inconvenient urge to want to become vegetarian and I, I kind of just said, well, you know, I can't do that. It's, it's not possible to get faster at running without the protein and all that. You know, I just had those same thoughts that everybody has or had back then. Um, and so I, I kind of like just stopped eating cows and, and pigs. I stopped eating four-legged animals basically and mm -hmm. said, I'm just going to do this. Then I can still get my protein from chicken and fish and all that. Um, and so I did that for about a year and it worked okay. And it, was, it actually turned out in hindsight to be a nice introduction into starting to limit my choices at mm -hmm. menus, parties and things without making it very difficult still. Um, but so I kind of stopped caring about wanting to go further with it. And then I got to this Tony Robbins event and went to like my first of his events. And at, on the last day of it, you know, he got everybody all motivated and excited and ready to change their life. And then the last day back then, and I think he still does this, he presents you with his, his diet for having more mm -hmm. energy and being healthier in the long term. And it was not a completely vegetarian one. I think he had some fish in there. Um, but th that was all I needed to hear that like, this actually is a good choice for my long-term health and may actually increase my energy levels in the short term. 
Mm-hmm. And so to me, I was like, well, you know, maybe there's going to be some challenges with running, but what year uh, was this? This was 2007, early 2007. 2007. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, I'm sorry, 2009. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so anyway, and I said, you know, maybe there's going to be some challenges, but but I thought, wow, like, what if that increased energy actually turns out to be a good thing for running somehow? So that's when I when I you know came home and looked on the internet to like for how to do it. How do you do vegetarian and this? And I couldn't find anything about vegetarian and running like anyone who was really making it work. Uh, so I said, well, that'd be a cool thing just to start writing about that and sharing this experiment and kind of how it goes. And, uh, and it turned out it all worked really, really well. Uh, I qualified for Boston just six months after that. And, you know, it's hard to say, but I think that my recovery from workouts really improved. Um, you know, a lot of factors could go into that, but to me, it really seemed like it worked. And so through that process, I started to meet all these other people and find out about there plenty of vegan runners were out there and, and even doing great things. It just wasn't that accessible, the information uh, at that time. So from there, I went vegan a few, like a year or two later, and then I got into ultra running and did some 50 milers and a hundred miles and it all just worked great. Never really got injured anymore after that. And, uh, you know, <laughs> then, then five more years or six more years, you don't know me to athlete and, and here we are. Mm, awesome. Thank you. Um, yeah. So yeah, that's why I was asking what year was it because uh, nowadays, like now you go on Google or again, Instagram, whatever, and you can find your website yeah. or Ritual's website and there's plenty of information. But 2009, even though it's, it's just like 10 years ago, basically, it has changed drastically. Before 2009, you couldn't find anything related with sports or high performance, you know, and there's always the myth that if you were vegan or plant-based or vegetarian, you will be lacking and you'll be like anemic. Right. You know, I think uh, of typical stories. So yeah, it's, I think uh, that ties into one of the topics I always talk about in the podcast is about like having that courage to like step into like the known zone, unknown zone, like that like wild, wild country that then suddenly you discover that, oh yeah, there's other athletes. But what, what was uh, that inner push that gave you like the strength to like, I'm going to go for it because your, your Boston Marathon could have been jeopardized and many other things, your health or whatever. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and of course I get that kind of question asked all the time. Not, not how did you do it, but people ask on Twitter or whatever, and they'll say, Hey, I'm thinking about going vegan. Um, and I'm a runner, you know, but I'm worried about this and this, like, what do you think? And what I always say is like, it doesn't really matter what I think or, or like, I mean, do you really need more reassurance? Like it's, it's not like you are making a choice to, to jump off a cliff and hope that it turns out. Okay. Like it's such a gradual thing, right? Like you can do it. And if it doesn't work out, it, you know, it doesn't work out and, and you go back. Like, it's not like there's some thing where you just can't turn back from this decision. Uh, I mean, and certainly those situations do exist where there are those kind of go for it all or nothing. Um, but you know, I don't really think diet is one of them. I think for me, the biggest fear around it, that I had around it was that idea of making it a big public thing. Mm. And, and cause like the, the going vegetarian decision for me was kind of the same one as like the start of no meat athlete start a blog online decision. Um, because I like, I was kind of satisfied. I was like, okay, I'll do this Tony Robbins thing. But then when I started thinking about it, I was like, well, the, well, the blog would be really cool if it was like a vegetarian, like that's what would be interesting. So then I was like, well, I'm, I'm just going to do it. But that, that was the scary part, right? It was like, what if I do this and start this thing and tell everyone that I'm doing this. And then after a month, I kind of have to give it up. Um, mm. That was my only real fear about it. Mm-hmm. But uh, it, it really wasn't a big one. I mean, I think, I don't know. I think, I think that's a huge issue for a lot of people is that fear of failure, fear of looking mm-hmm. in front of friends. Um, so that was, that was the one that I wrestled with a little bit, but uh, I don't know. I'm still a big believer in that idea. I know it's, it's kind of maybe antiquated by now, but that idea that just like, 
making that public commitment, like telling everyone what you're doing, that that's a good thing for changing habits. Um, it's, it's really hard. And I don't know, it, it, it takes about five minutes of courage and saying like, I'm going to make this declaration, decide that I'm going to do this and make it public. Um, but then as soon as you do that, the fear is now becomes a motivator because as soon as you've made that commitment and said that you're doing this, now the, the wanting not to look silly or not to look em embarrassed in front of your friends is now a motivator to make sure this thing works and stick mm -hmm. with it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, for me, that's kind of how that whole how process works. Oh, great. Yeah. Yeah. I see that you basically uh, use that fear, which is energy in, in the end, and you just use that as the uh, engine or the, as the fuel for the engine for your new venture, I guess. Do you find much resistance on your inner circles and, and uh, I don't know, community? No, I really don't. Um, my approach to this whole vegetarian thing, well, now vegan thing, but back then vegetarian, it was just like, I, I was, I don't know. I had this idea that to be vegetarian meant that you had to become like a salesman for vegetarianism, right? And like suddenly telling everyone you know that they have to do it and making them feel like they're wrong for, for not being vegetarian for eating meat and I, that approach just always turned me off so much i, I like mm -hmm. for a long time thought about wanting to be vegetarian but thought like i just don't want to become that type of person mm -hmm. and that community that does not appeal to me that idea so i've always been extremely sensitive to that and in my own talking about it especially in those days but now too um i just never wanted to be someone who was pushing that on people And so that, that I think of course came through in my writing online and the podcast and things, but in my personal life too, like it, it was all exactly the same. So when I would like be going to a friend's house and they'd be having a party or something, I wouldn't like go to them and say, Hey, you know, you have to make me some vegan food and I'm going to be there to so make sure there's something for me to eat. I, I would just maybe not say anything at all and eat a meal at my house ahead of time mm -hmm. or bring something. Mm -hmm. And I just, I just never, ever wanted to create awkwardness and, and any of that feeling that I needed special treatment because I'd made this choice. Mm. So I think that really helped. And then over time, like after a year or two of that, and then the, the blog started to get popular and it became my thing that everyone knew me for. Then I think people just started to view that as part of me. And like, I don't know. So I've really never, never came across much of the resistance. Now mm. I do think like some, some things suffered as a result. Like I don't, I, I definitely we used to go out to dinner or go to dinner at friends' houses more often than we do now. But I think it just happens, you know, like, but it doesn't mean it has to. If, certainly if I made more of an effort and tried to make sure that, you know, that it still happened and I offered alternatives or ways we could do it, you know, jointly vegan for me and not vegan for them. Um, I don't know. I'm sure I could make it happen. But like, so like things happen like that, but I, none of it has been like bad vibes or anything because of it. It's just, it's just sort of how it is. Mm, yeah. Now that you mentioned going to a friend's house, uh, my partner and I, we always find that when we go to somebody's house, they kind of like freak out. They get nervous. Like, what, why can I make you? Like, they want to make sure that you have like bucket loads of salad and food because they think they just think <laughs> that you're going to starve. So we always get this nervousness in her family or whatever. So it's just a funny thing to, to notice. I think, I think it's on the other side where people have more issues sometimes internally than what I've experienced in my own journey, I guess. Yeah, I think that's true. And that's another good example of like, you could be really afraid of that stuff happening. But then once, once you actually do it, like maybe there's a little incident here or there where, you know, there's a miscommunication or there's a little tension. But like, those moments are so rare compared to the moments where everything is normal and fine. So I don't know, I try to make it so that people understand, like, you can be pretty normal and have uh, still eat a plant based diet and not have people, you know, even think mm -hmm. that you're any different. So I don't know. One more thing, though, that I mentioned that that how I 
that year of eating just no four-legged animals really helped me in the transition. I think that also helped tremendously with like the going to friends' houses and talking to family and friends about it because that like going to dinner, say at my wife's family's place or something um, to go there and, and say, well, we don't eat steak anymore. So please don't make that like chicken, turkey. That's fine. That was really good practice for learning how to mm. talk to people about diet and say, I'm choosing not to eat these certain foods without having to say, well, I'm hundred percent vegan and oil free. So make sure you, you know, make a, make a perfect meal for me. Uh, getting that practice was definitely helpful. Like, and same with meal planning and ordering food at restaurants. It just, it just kind of helped. But I think people don't realize how much that helps with the social situation as well. So that's why I'm a big fan of kind of easing into things if, if that works for you. Uh, well, and I think that's a very important point you just mentioned because today uh, on Facebook, I, I saw one of those, uh, I think one of vegan uh, group, they're like, please guys, share a documentary or something that forces me to become vegan. I'm like, when you get forced into something and you don't eat this, you're going to bounce back really bad. I, I couldn't, I, I was like, I was in awe basically, you know? And when you say you practice for a year transitioning, because it's a big statement going to your in-laws and saying, I don't want steak because it's almost like, I don't want your food. Sometimes people take it as that, but you ease into that and you get comfortable into learning how to say no, I guess, when we transition to a new diet, learning how to say no and not feeling ashamed, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't mean for that message to be like, telling someone who's fully ready to go vegan that they should not and that they should hold back. They're like, of course, I want you to go for it if that's what's motivating to you. But I think a lot of people view that as the only option. They're like, it's either go overnight or don't do it at all. Mm. And it's really not. There is a, there is a you know, go at your own pace option that, that for me has worked so much better. And like you said, I tend to think of people who, who take their time getting towards something. Uh, once they actually get there, I think they're way more likely to make it last than mm. people who Mm -hmm. dive in. It just, it just takes a little while for you to change. And I think it's, mm -hmm. if it's too much at once and you haven't fully changed yet, then it's, it's going to be hard for you to keep the diet mm -hmm. up. Uh, I want to mention something before I forget. So you, you said that you started transitioning and all this, and I think that's why I'm so, um, I like so much your website and your work because you don't really preach like go vegan or like hate against meat eaters, which there's right. many other people doing and it's totally fine. But I also like had a thing like I don't tell people I'm vegan or plant-based or anything. I just tell them I like lots of vegetables and fruits and <laughs> I some nuts, you know. And finally, it's always usually my brother saying like in a restaurant, oh, he's vegan. Do you have any vegan food for him? You know, those kind of things. Yep. But I find that um, the way you write and the way you've been sharing your podcast is and, and, and yeah, website is instead of like condemning meat eaters, it's like, hey, whatever you eat is fine, but do you want to? feel more optimal. Maybe they want to enhance your lifestyle. There's some guidelines, there's new recipes and there's these amazing interviews where you can optimize and, and have maybe experience a new level of performance. I don't, I, want, I don't want to say better, but a new level of performance. And I think that's what is really like, that's how you got probably the hundred thousand um, books uh, sales. And that's how many people are following because it's really, it's an empowering message instead of a, a judgment uh, perspective, I guess. Yeah, I, I appreciate that you noticed that because that, that definitely is something that's really important to me. Um, you know, I, I wouldn't say my goal is to like get people to go vegan or even get them to go vegetarian. It's to get them to eat less meat and less animal products. And to me, I feel like the best way to do that is not to say you should do this. You really, should, you really ought to do this for whatever, your health or that. Or, I just found it's so much easier for me just to like, make it seem cool, right? Mm -hmm. Like make it seem like this is a fun thing to do or 
wow, that guy has a lot of energy or he look how, what he does with running and how, how his life has changed. Uh, I would like to do that too. And so if I can get people to just kind of feel that way, then I think the tools that I am providing become useful to them. Um, so that's what I do. Like I, I try to give people inspiration to do it. And once they are ready, some advice that will help them, mm-hmm. uh, you know, but like I said, like once they are ready, doesn't mean once they're ready to go vegan, just once they're ready to eat one less meat meal per week. I mean, whatever, if they can, if they cook one recipe from the site in, in a week and that introduces them to a vegetarian meal and they say, wow, this is not that weird. Uh, you know, then that's, I feel like my job has, has not been done, but has begun effectively. Mm-hmm. And that get from the site. So, um, because you've been on this path already for a while, um, and many people listening or probably what you thought at the beginning, like, oh, I'm, I'm like, I love sports and I do endurance running, whatever. How is this going to affect my hormones or my physical state? Do you have any like must go uh, supplements or superfoods that you, that you take? I know you have a B12, which uh, it looks really amazing. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. I mean, I don't think there are, as far as like energy, like short term, make sure my sports performance doesn't lag. I don't think there are any supplements that you need or anything like that. Like what you mentioned, my B12 thing, that's, that's more of a long-term. Like if you're going to be vegan for a year or more, um, you think you need to think about getting some essential things. So like, it's not just B12, but vitamin D as well. DHA and EPA are two essential fatty acids that you really don't, or omega-3 fatty acids that you don't really get from, from um, flax seeds and walnuts and things like that. And so like, I feel like there are a handful of really important nutrients for vegans to get. Um, but you don't need much else and you don't really need a full multivitamin because you get so much stuff from your food if you're eating really good fresh food. So that's why I do that thing. Um, that's called compliment, by the way, if anyone's interested. Um, but anyway, as far as like sports supplements, I, you know, everyone assumes protein powder. And I took that in the early days because I thought the same thing. I thought like, well, you certainly have to take protein powder if you're going to be vegetarian or vegan. Um, so I started it and then I, I don't know if it helped me. I don't think it really did. Because actually when I was training for my 100 mile race, I ran out of the protein powder like halfway through that. And then I just didn't buy more. I was just kind of like, just, you know, the urgency for that had, had gone away from me because I'd been vegan now for two or three years. Um, and then after like six weeks, I still hadn't bought more. And then finally I was like, wow, I am running more than I ever have. And I'm not taking any protein and this is all working really great. So I haven't had protein powder since then or haven't taken it on a regular basis since then. Uh, but I think it helped me a lot in the beginning by not helping my body, but helping me feel like I was getting enough mm-hmm. protein. Because I think when you have coworkers and friends talking in your ear and saying, well, you know, you, this isn't going to work for you if you're an athlete and you're not getting enough protein, you know, there's a simple way to get the protein and that's take the protein powder if you want. Um, and then, then that excuse that, or that fear about being vegetarian is mostly gone from your mind. Mm-hmm. So I think it helps in that way. It is a psychological, really kind of a crutch that helps you deal with that uncertainty or that fear that you're not going to get enough protein. Um, but I don't think it's necessary at all mm-hmm. for your body. Um, you know, there are a variety of other things you can do. You can take branched chain amino acids. You can take, and even some of these protein powders, you can take them in a way or the ones that are made to replicate animal protein. But as soon as you do that, I, I think you're kind of losing a lot of the benefits of not eating animal protein because there are a lot of good reasons not to eat animal protein, mm-hmm. um, particularly with like cancer risks, links to um, insulin-like growth factor, a hormone in your body that, that is linked to tumor growth. Um, you know, and that, and that happens from animal protein. So like if you start taking branched chain amino acids and you start taking soy protein isolates that are meant to just pack in all this protein, um, 
it actually can kind of do the sort of the same thing as animal mm. protein. So I've never been interested in that kind of thing. Uh, potentially it might, it might improve your sports performance if you want, but um, I don't know. I think, you know, there's so much like fear about like, well, how, you know, you must have to be so careful if you go vegan or vegetarian. Uh, but for me, like, I didn't know anything about it when I started and I tried to try to be careful, tried to read and learn things about it. But looking back now, I didn't know anything, <laughs> but I got the results immediately because I think I was eating fresh fruits and vegetables for the first time. Mm. Like prior to that, the five years of my training to, to qualify for Boston, I had eaten chicken breast and brown rice. And like, I thought perfect amount of protein, perfect amount of carbohydrate, maybe a vegetable makes it onto my plate if I've got extra time or something. Um, but once I start, once that went out the window and like suddenly I was just shopping at farmer's markets and like finding what was in season and coming home and figuring out a recipe based on whatever the fresh fruit or vegetables that I picked up were, uh, it all changed. And I stopped, thinking about protein and carbohydrate and fat and just started like thinking I'm going to eat really good fresh food. Mm. I had the very best training summer of my whole life. When I did that, I started recovering from workouts faster than ever as far, at least as far as getting in the next workout and not getting injured. Mm -hmm. uh, it, I wasn't measuring recovery, recovery anymore mm. specifically than that. Um, but I, I guess my point is that like, there's so much good that comes from eating just good, fresh, whole foods that, even if there are things that might be lacking or, or that, that because you aren't really being careful about what you're eating, that maybe somehow you're getting 20% less protein or 10% less calories than you were before. I feel like all that exciting stuff, right? The anti-inflammatory compounds, the antioxidants, all that stuff is, is going to do more than make up for that. And then mm. over time you can learn more about it, refine it, figure out what's working, what isn't uh, and change it. But I just think there's, I think people forget that there's this perhaps really big benefit that's, reason a lot of athletes are choosing the diet now for performance uh you're gonna get a boost like that hopefully mm. and and i think that kind of outweighs whatever you know hormonal or other things might be you, you might feel like worried that you're gonna be missing mm. okay beautiful so yeah and i think in summer it'll be like balance and um i'm gonna use your quote uh greens grains and beans <laughs> yeah. I, i heard for the first time i think it was two episodes ago that you were talking about how to run your first 50k And right. I really love this. So like we should make uh, kids songs or maybe they're already like, uh, like uh, kindergarten <laughs> songs for kids to start singing that or something like that. It's, yeah, I, like it. I was sharing it with my partner. She loved it. Um, I think in summary, like, like many people, when they start vegetarian or, or vegan diet, they tell me like, oh, I feel amazing. I, I've been eating like this. Like I've never, they start uh, learning new recipes and they go to the grocery shop and they find that there's actually way more vegetables than bananas, avocados, and maybe uh, lettuce or spinach. So I think it comes like with uh, curiosity and, and trusting that there's other foods to eat and, and not even focusing that much in percentage or whatnot because you, when you eat the whole food plant-based diet, I think you get the, the whole spectrum that you need. And um, um, so my thing is, um, and this will be the last question regarding uh, a workout, it will be what's your go-to smoothie? After you work out, what's like that smoothie that you will take To the end of your time you know i i used to like really think hard about what smoothie <clears throat> i would drink after workout and i would do there's a book called thrive by brendan brazier mm -hmm. uh which actually was out i just didn't find it when i when i got started with nomad athletes like it was it was happening i just didn't didn't find it um but it's a great book and he has so many good superfood things in there um I don't do any of that stuff anymore because, you know, then I wanted to qualify for Boston and I wanted every bit of edge I could get. And I was figured, Hey, this guy's a pro triathlete. I'm going to 
eat what he tells me to eat after my workouts. And so I would do that and I'd make these fancy things with chia seeds and coconut oil and dates and lemon uh, zest, like very, you know, just a lot of work went into those post-workout smoothies and things. Um, and so I think there's a place for that for sure. Now I'm kind of more like 80, 20 mindset where like get, get 80% of the results with 20% of the effort. So mm -hmm. my diet and food has become very, very simple. Uh, but I do still drink a smoothie pretty much every day. And what goes in it, honestly, I'll drink the same smoothie, whether it's breakfast or whether it's post-workout. I might change a little bit about it post-workout. But typically what I would do with a smoothie, and partly this is because my kids will, will eat the same smoothie or drink the same smoothie. Uh, I put flax seeds and walnuts in there. I mm -hmm. mentioned those two earlier. They are like the best nuts and seeds that you can eat, in my opinion, and in Michael mm -hmm. Greger's opinion. Um, so I'll just put a handful of each of those in there. Couple of Brazil nuts because Brazil nuts, Brazil nuts give you selenium, which is not that plentiful in plant-based diets, mm -hmm. but important. Um, so eat a Brazil nut per day. I try to do that. So I throw two in there since it's for me and the kids. Uh, and then I'll put two like very ripe bananas in there, like the brown spotty mm -hmm. kind of bananas. The good ones. <laughs> and then a bunch of frozen fruit, whatever we've got. Um, I always try to get some berries in there just because I think berries are one of the most important foods that you can eat on a daily basis. Uh, as far as fruits go, they are among the best. And recently I've been putting mango in there because I've read some really good things about stone fruits, the fruits that have pits mm -hmm. in them um, and their, their you know, potential protection against certain kinds of cancer uh, is really interesting. So I've been trying to put mangoes in the smoothie, just frozen mango, and that's much cheaper than the frozen berries. Mm -hmm. So that's pretty much my daily smoothie. Uh, now and then if we have some extra greens that, that were going bad, so we put them in the freezer, um, I'll throw those in there. Just not very much, enough so that the kids can't really taste them and I can't taste them. Mm -hmm. um, that's, that's pretty much it. Like, you know, I may add nut butter or something if I'm trying to get more calories for some reason. Uh, I may, if I'm doing like serious, try to put on weight or something in the gym, I might add creatine to that, to my part, not to the kids part. Um, but you know, that's, that's kind of it. Mm -hmm. I post-workout, I really like to eat. I mean, I think dates are a really great workout food. They don't happen to be in that smoothie. Uh, but if I'm going to be eating something like during the workout, uh, or even before the workout, always just try to eat some dates to me they're they're like a nature's energy gel basically um so i love those two and sometimes i'll put those in a smoothie but but not not Beautiful. day to day mm, great so i also heard on, on that same episode that you were starting to do intermittent fasting is that correct or experiment with it i have not actually done it myself um i mean i may have tried it a long time ago but i i always worry that i'm going to lose too much weight if i do that because mm -hmm. that's my problem i i don't keep weight on very well okay. um And, you know, when you switch to a plant-based diet, you, you're eating way less calorically dense food. So um, me being someone who tends to lose weight easily, it, I just don't know that it works that well for me. Um, but I have, in fairness, I have not really given it a long, you know, good try. Uh, my wife does it though. She's done it for probably four or five months now. And she really goes, she does a small window. She doesn't eat until noon each day. And then she's usually done by around 6 p.m. Um, so I've, I've lived with someone who's doing intermittent fasting. Uh, but no, I have not really tried it myself, but I think it's interesting. I think it's legitimate. I think, it is, I think there's a lot of good, uh, you know, beginning to be research behind it. And I think it is based on really sound principles. I don't think it's a, a fad that will be going next mm -hmm. year. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Okay. Thanks. So mm -hmm. how uh, will you say your, um, your, uh, perspective on life or your uh, approach to life or living life has changed ever since you adopted these this small changes throughout these uh, past 10 years? It has changed tremendously in ways that I could not have predicted, didn't predict at all. Um, and mostly there, I'm just thinking about my inner life. And then, and then the way that that kind of 
is reflected in, in how I live now. Um, you know, in 10 years, I mean, I guess I, anybody's going to change a lot in 10 years and who knows how much had to do with this diet choice or whether the diet choice was sort of a symptom of, of moving this direction anyway. Um, but I mentioned before, this is just how much I value simplicity in my life. Um, I'm not a minimalist, but I think that idea is really interesting. And, you know, some practical things like having kids, they're eight and five now. Um, you know, I, if I try to get into minimalism too much in my head, like purest minimalism, it's just asking for stress and like asking for hating my family and being so angry every day about the clutter in our house. So I've had to let that go, uh, which is kind of another exercise in minimalism. And, that, and that's what that, that whole letting go of things philosophy. Uh, for me, it started literally with letting go of objects. But that has I've noticed recently that that for me is as much a spiritual practice as anything else that I do in my life. Because um, when I lose things, every now and then I'll, I will, I don't have many things anymore uh, that are mine. We've got plenty of dishes and kids toys and all that, but like my personal stuff. Uh, and every now and then I will lose something, leave it in a hotel room or whatever it is. A shirt I got in Spain, a Real Madrid shirt that I got in the Real Madrid store in Spain. Uh, and I left it in a hotel. And I was, at first I was like, Oh my God, I'm never going to get another one of those. And then I was like, this is, this is, you know, I'm, I'm all about this minimalism thing. Here's another opportunity to let go of something. Uh, so, you know, that, that idea just of like, these things around me really don't matter at all. Like they just, it's all going to be gone in a million years anyway. Uh, these things don't matter. Like that's not what life is about and what's important. So that sort of has been the gateway into learning just to let go and to surrender with lots and lots of other things too, including the things that are just in my head that aren't physical objects at all. Um, and so that, you know, that whole thing has been a big theme in my life and, and the way that, you know, the choices I've made with, with work and kind of the way I've really pared down what I do with my time online. Um, I think it's really easy to have an online business and have all of your time go into social media and email and, you know, just, I mean, you can spend all your time doing that now, but I don't, I really don't do any of that stuff anymore. Like social media, just entirely stop doing it uh, and kind of just let it go into, you know, maybe I could be a, run a better business if I was doing this, but I don't know. I haven't noticed that anyway. Like we have someone who does the social media for us now. So I think I've been able to just get rid of that in my life. Um, so, you know, that's, that's where the direction has gone. Uh, choosing to become vegetarian and then vegan was the first to me of those choices that kind of started moving me in that direction. Uh, so that, that's, that's where I am with that. And uh, it's, it's still a journey. I'm not, not good at any of that stuff yet, but I'm, I'm learning all of it. And uh, it's, it's really interesting to me that, that diet has sort of kicked off that. that mm -hmm. Yeah. It's uh, I think it's amazing what a uh, shift in diet can, can do, you know, because I think many people start either for ethical or, or health reasons or something, but I think there's always an inner calling within uh, saying like, uh, you know, like just be open-minded. And I think that's what people are enticed when, when you, they relate to your blog or to your podcast. They're like, okay, I'm going to be open-minded. I'm trying these new recipes, even though I'm not vegan or whatnot. Um, but you were starting when you, when you started the, the, the blog and everything, you were studying a, a PhD, is that a PhD in, in math or you were studying university before that? Yeah, so I had I had gotten a finance degree in college and then realized that I was miserable with the work that I was doing as a result of that degree. So I realized I had to go back to school to get a math background in order to get into grad school. So I I spent a lot of time in in colleges and mm. things. Yeah, so and I was I had my masters in applied math and I was about a year from 
a year of hard work away from a math PhD when I decided to stop and do the mm. nomad. I think uh, ever since then, you, you've started uh, cultivating the practice of letting go. It doesn't mean forever, but letting go of an idea and know that whatever you're, you're focusing is it's what you, where you have to be, right? Like acknowledging yeah. and, and being happy and being and, and breathing wherever you are. Um, so will you say um, you're a spiritual person? I would. Uh, I'm definitely not a religious person, but... Uh, but spirituality has, has become a bigger part of my life. Uh, I'd say it's more a curiosity than, than like a practice. I'm, I've never been good. I've tried so much, so many times to meditate regularly and I'll do it for a month or two. And then I'm say, I'll start to say, well, I don't know. I don't know if this is, I'm getting the benefits from this that I had hoped I would. Uh, it just, I don't know. So then I'll, then I will stop and then I'll do some other form of meditation, like writing morning pages sort of thing where it's a writing kind of meditation. Um, but I read a ton of books about these topics and consciousness and, and, you know, this personal I and the illusory, illusory nature of this, this I that is most of our minds. Uh, I read a whole lot about that stuff. So I, that's, that for me is kind of how I am delving in. Um, mm -hmm. But I have, you know, I haven't really done anything that would, that would look like a practice in any way. So mm -hmm. I'm at the beginning of this journey mm -hmm. for sure. That's mm -hmm. the best. The beginning is always the best. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> um, so I'm on the other side. I, I, well, I have read many books and I, I do have a daily, let's say, like meditation or whatever practice, but I don't do endurance uh, training, like long distance training or whatever or race. Right. And I've always felt like called to do it just because I think it, it's basically the same. No, when you, I, like if you have to run 50K or 100 miles, that that's meditation. Either you work through it. <laughs> and I think, I think I've, I've noticed there's two types of runners or athletes, ones that use pain and and suffering, I would say like kind of like David Goggins, that he's like mm -hmm. all this pain and anger and, and, and abuse, I use that as my fuel. Or others that just really as like become the observer and they just let the machine uh, run for it. Would you say you've gotten really deep insights in those long runs and trainings? Uh, I've gotten a lot of great ideas on those long runs and trainings mm -hmm. as far as like business ideas or um, like I, the, the idea to go on a book tour for my first book which wasn't like the publisher was not going to pay for a book tour. No one had mentioned the idea of doing a book tour, but I was on a run and I was listening to a podcast and suddenly I was like, wow, I need to like, I have this whole audience of people who would love, I think for me to come to their city. So I like the next day put out an email and then within a few months had booked this two month book tour across the whole U S where I drove all around. And so like, that was a huge changed three or four months of my life doing that thing. And that came from running uh, so many other, like I just felt like I was that habit that of going for a run, an easy run usually was where this would happen. Uh, going for a run for an hour, it would have to be more than 20, 30 minutes or else you just, I would never get into that, that zone where you just, mm. your mind seems to open up um, and ideas start flowing. But that and listening to some sort of podcast that would be mind opening in some way, whether that was a business podcast um, or just something entirely different from that. Uh, yeah, I felt like that was one of the best habits I could, I could mm. one of the best things I could do in a given day, uh, not just for my body, but for my mind as well. So that's definitely, definitely been something like that. Um, I, I don't know, like, I haven't had, I know there are a lot of runners who run, who run ultra marathons even for the spirituality of it, right? Because they say when everything is stripped away, like when you have, when you're, body is spent and the only thing that is driving you forward now is your will to be moving forward and the 
that it's coming from your mind at this point, it seems. This energy is coming from your mind, not from your body anymore. Uh, that's when people like, you know, feel like they see God and can clearly just have this glimpse into the nature of things. Uh, I wouldn't say I have experienced that. Um, but I've also heard recently that like I had a, we had a guy on our podcast recently. We didn't actually have, the episode has not been published yet, but he wrote a book or has a, has a movie out called 3100 about a 3100 mile race around a half mile block in New York city. And it happens every summer. And, um, he said that is a, it's a race about spirituality. Like that is, is a kind of find yourself and sort of be spiritual event. Uh, and he said a lot of the runners who do that, they are doing it not for that, like get to the level of pain so that I can, you know, have a spiritual experience, but finding that spiritual experience in this pretty slow, because you got to be going slow to handle that kind of distance over the course of two months. Um, that it's that they find that in that pure joy of movement, that that's where they are finding mm. the spiritual experience, which I thought was interesting. Like that, Cause I, neither one of those has, has been me. Um, I feel like whatever spirituality I've got from that has been from the sort of the daily rhythm, the daily practice of doing this thing, no matter whether it's raining or what, like that, just that I'm going to get my run in. That for me has been the closest thing that I've had to spirituality. But I think it's really interesting that there are all these different kind of paths um, to spirituality through running, mm. and, but they're not all the same. I think it's, it's just interesting to me. Mm, beautiful. So why would you say it's uh, the illusion of that? Uh, the personal eye so far for you? You've read these books and you've interviewed the amazing guest. Uh, what's your perspective on who are you? <laughs> <laughs> is it, is, uh, I is mean, it like Matt? Is it one thing or is it there's Matt and then the soul or is it the mind? What, what can you make out from, from, from uh, uh, these years of learning? Well, as I told you, I'm very much a novice in this uh, and learning. I, my, my, like, I've heard people talk forever about how this interconnectedness of everything, of all things and all people, that we're all one. And I, I never understood that. It just did not make sense to me because I was like, well, I, we're not all one. I'm, I'm this one and over there's someone else and I don't feel that what they're feeling. But this idea that this whole, that I is, is an illusion, that it's not really real. It's a, it's a construct of our mind. Um, and this is not, you know, that's just spiritual. Like there, there are some really scientific approaches mm -hmm. to making this same point. Um, Sam Harris has a book called uh, Waking Up, I believe. That's, mm -hmm. I think it's, it's like spirituality without religion was the subtitle of the book. Uh, and the whole thing is really about the scientific basis for why this idea that, that you know, we have a, a personal eye, well, that's kind of an illusion. Uh, not kind of, is an illusion. And so then what's left from that, I think he would argue that he's an atheist and he would say that that means nothing is left. Like that it's sort of this kind of meaningless existence. Um, and maybe that's not fair for me to say that because I don't know Sam Harris's beliefs that well. Uh, but I think, that, but there still is that consciousness, that awareness that is, that is kind of behind that whole thing. So when you let go of the personal eye, um, you're still aware and you still feel things and you still notice things that happen to that personal eye. Um, and to me, that's, that's who I really am. And I think that's who everybody is. And I think we're all inside or in the very back, maybe we are all that. And that doesn't have gender, right? It doesn't have preferences. It just, it just is. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, I think that's who I really am. But, mm. you know, like I said, I'm, I'm at, <laughs> I've never even really talked about this stuff. So I, I don't have the words really for it very well. But uh, I, I find it so interesting. Mm -hmm, definitely. Um, from um, your multiple, uh, like, um, 
interviews and and touring around uh, the states, sharing your book and uh, and interviewing other people. What do you say is our our purpose in life? Like, what? Why are we here? Are we here to run 300k's? Are we here to make the best vegan food? Are we here to make amazing uh, uh, companies and enterprises? Why? Why are we here? I have not figured that one out yet. Um, what I have figured out is that there's a big difference between um, pleasure in in the moment and enjoyment, which is more of a you know, something that takes some work to experience enjoyment, takes some growth. Uh, whereas pleasure can be, can be anything, can be watching Netflix, can be doing all kinds of destructive habits that, that feel good instantly, but don't, don't do anything. And looking back, they, they only kind of, they lessen your enjoyment of life after that. Um, and so I, I really do, th as cliche as it sounds, um, I, I think the purpose, like for me, the way I make choices now is how do I maximize that enjoyment of life while I'm here. And then, of course, that enjoyment comes from, like I said, doing some things that are hard and helping people and contributing. That leads to enjoyment uh, as, as you know, distinct from pleasure, which is just like, at least the way I'm using it. And I, I got these ideas. There's a book called Flow, uh, which is by the guy who kind of did a bunch of the original research on the flow state. Mm -hmm. um, and that's where I learned about this distinction between pleasure and enjoyment. And I don't know, it just really spoke to me that like, it never really occurred to me that those were different things. I thought I thought being happy was being happy, and that's the purpose of life. Um, but that that difference that that one of them you know doesn't really have to be earned. You just you can just do things that cause it. Um, and then there then there's the other one that that is enduring, and that's the one that I think you know we should strive to to maximize. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that uh, statement because I think like when we stop being challenged, it doesn't have to be like. Again, like David Goggins challenge, like run a hundred miles and break your shins and shit your pants. <laughs> <laughs> but like when you're challenged, you, you, your body knows that you're still active, that there's still purpose and that you still have, you can, you can still go an extra mile and update and always start again, change diet again if you need or whatever. Yep. Um, so you were saying uh, that you've, do you feel now that we're a little bit more connected all together? Because I'm asking you this question because... I think a change to becoming vegan or not uh, eating animals or whatever is like it's it's becoming aware and conscious that we're not that separated that they're not, not just because they're animals we're kind of connected so uh, could I assume that now you feel that we're a little bit more connected all together you mean as a result of of, of eating diet? yeah eating a plant-based diet yeah yeah I, I think so I mean and I think that's perhaps although not something I was consciously aware of perhaps part of what is, has driven the changes in my life the past decade mm. uh, that kind of began with, with that choice. So mm. I mean, totally for me, that is, that's, that was behind one of my reasons to go vegan or vegetarian first um, was that idea that we're really not different from animals. Like not, it's a, for me, it's a matter of degree, right? We are, we are smarter than many of them in, in the you know, sense that most people think about smarter. Um, but I don't think there's a line that suddenly says this is where the superior beings are and the other ones. Are. Mm -hmm. And so for me, that was, that was what was behind the initial motivation to do mm -hmm. it. Um, and yeah. And so I think, I think it's just like, I, it's funny. I did not view myself as a spiritual person at all back then when I made mm -hmm. the choice, but like looking at it now, I was like, wow, that, I mean, that, that's kind of what <laughs> spirituality is. I was actually just going to say that, you know, like in uh, the Buddhist text to say, 
having a compassionate heart, that's, that's the biggest and the most worthy spiritual practice. And it's hmm. not a practice that you have to sit and do yoga. It's a practice that you take everywhere and every choice and every decision. And I think that's what you're sharing uh, in your blog and in your uh, podcast that every decision you take counts and it's becoming aware. And I think some people bounce back from this kind of uh, a lifestyle or diet because it's hard to, to become aware of every decision because suddenly you're faced with many many demons. I, I would say like you start the cleansing process. In Alan Watts was saying that um, once you start this spiritual practice such as yoga, uh, the, uh, Mr. Karma will come and knock the door and be like, maybe you have to get sick, you know, and maybe you have to lose all your money and everything. Have you transitioned in these past years? What, could you share what has been the, the, the hardest moment emotionally that you had to endure after this uh, transition? Yeah. Um, and I, I have no idea if they are related to, you know, what you just said, the, the karma coming because I am starting to think that I'm making positive improvements. Um, yeah, I went through like two years or so after I made the choice to, I think it was two years, maybe one year actually, after I, after I made the choice to quit grad school and start this blog. Um, well, I should not start the blog. The blog was moving along and that's why I made the choices that I'm going to do this as a business and really get into this. Uh, about a year after that, we decided to move away from, cause now suddenly we were location independent. So I was like, well, let's move to a cool place. So we moved to Asheville, North Carolina, uh, from Baltimore area. And shortly after that, I had a, I had a son now, like a one-year-old son, uh, or no, I guess it was a two-year-old son. And I went through this period of like intense, intense anxiety where I was just debilitated. I just couldn't do anything. I mean, I was completely ineffective. Uh, I would just sit on the couch and like worry and feel like I was sick or I was something would happen. And I was just, I was just completely like paralyzed by anxiety. And it was interesting because I had like made this choice that I was going to be my own boss and like make my own career and my make this choice for my wife and, and son at that time mm-hmm. to depend on us. I have a daughter now, but, but um, to, to depend on me and, and my ability to like make a living for us. And it was really scary to think like, wow, I thought I was so strong and here I am. I can't even get myself to do anything. Um, so that was, extremely hard it lasted about six months and not not that intense for six months but it it lasted for six months and my wife you know just was so supportive and so helpful during that time um so that that was extremely tough and i and even like in the past few years i've definitely when i tried to and it often comes as a result of a period of growth right like when i try to change and make growth um like business wise like i've i've nomadathlete is something that it used to be all I would do all day long. It was my focus for eight or 10 hours a day. Uh, and then even when I wasn't working, I was still working in my head and thinking about what I could do. Um, but in the past two years, I've partnered with someone who really helped me like make it a real business that, that can run when I'm not there or when I'm, you know, just taking some time off. And that was my goal forever. It was like, Hey, make a, make an automated income source that I, that is passive income and I can do whatever. Right. That was, I thought the goal. Um, as soon as that began to happen, and it's still, it's not like I don't do anything there. It's still plenty of that I have to do. But as soon as I like, my responsibilities were drastically reduced. I, I had this like, wow, like, what am I supposed to do with my time now? If this thing that has been my purpose for 10 years, like my, my one thing, like if you do something today, make sure you advance this. That was my thing for 10 years. And suddenly that was like, I don't have to do that anymore. Like I, some days if I feel like it, I can, but it's no longer something I have to do. 
that was like, I just didn't know what to do with myself. It, it was, it was really a strange thing. And I was depressed for a while and like wondering, like just I mean, all kinds of things went through my head as though like, what is the solution to this? Should I travel more? Like I, without my wife and kids, cause they don't want to travel as much as I am craving adventure. And so like a lot of really strange, you know, just a big crisis for me to deal with. Um, so that was, that was rough as well. And that was only a year or two ago. So, okay. you know, and none of the, uh, obviously there's many, many greater tragedies than that that happen in people's lives and harder things than that. Um, and I recognize that, but you know, for me, those things did come and it's interesting like that they do come as a result of, uh, or at least fo- shortly following a period of, of growth and the decision to, to mm. you know, make a change. And will you, where will you say you stand now after, after this, uh, new, uh, I, I call it the dark night of the soul. Well, it's called the dark night of the soul in, in the spiritual right. world. <laughs> yep. Um, I kind of, I never found a solution really. And it all just went away, <laughs> like, mm-hmm. which is amazing to me. And, and I think really, uh, just a really good lesson that mm-hmm. like we, I thought I had to solve this problem of like, well, what do I do now? And it became this big thing that I was like worked up over, like, and I was going to the bookstore and trying to find like, what do I do now? What's my purpose? And then, and then eventually just like the anxiety thing, like eventually it just stopped feeling that way. Mm. And that's another really, like there's a, you probably know, but you know about the three principles sort of ideas. Mm, three no. principles. It's just a, it's a, I guess it's a branch of spirituality. Um, this guy named Sid, uh, oh, I'm blanking on his name. I can't believe it. I mean, it's been a couple of years since I read this stuff, but, uh, Oh, Sydney Banks is his name. Um, and it's, there, there are dozens, maybe hundreds of books on Amazon about this, this thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the things there is that like, you know, we're, we, our lives are basically just the, we live in the feel in the feelings of our thoughts and that thought and kind of in the much way that we think this, this personal eye and the mind is in many ways an illusion um, you know, thought has a way of making things seem like really big, urgent problem, but over time, it just, it just goes away. Like, the, like there are these waves that run through your, or move through your mind and make it seem like, wow, everything is going crazy wrong and you can do nothing to fix it. And the wave just passes if you let it and then, and then things even out and, and you're back to normal. And that's, that's what happened to me. And it just, it, in each of those instances it took three to six months for me to just let it pass, but, but it did. And I didn't, mm. nothing, you know, fundamentally changed to, to allow it to pass. I guess I just got bored or, or tired of dealing with it. Mm. And eventually it just, it just passes through. Mm. Beautiful. Yeah. Uh, for what I've, you've been relating, it's like you kind of surrender to those emotions, to that feeling. And you were like, oh, well, what can I do? You know, because I think it's a very like Western th- uh, mentality of like, I have to do something with this problem instead of just observing right. and just like, it'll be like the Taoist <laughs> way, just become the observer, become the eye. Yeah. Um, have you read the book, uh, How to Change Your Mind by Michael Pollan? No, I have not. It's about psychedelics and things, right? Yeah, I think uh, the audible version is amazing. It's, okay. it's because it, it, it's read by Michael Pollan and it's a really good book. I've been uh, gifting that book to many like my grandma and like uh, I don't know like many people just because it gives you a new perspective completely objective regarding uh, psychedelics mm-hmm. uh, and many other things he's on a personal journey I guess um, because uh, I find that like uh, many many of us go through these stages of like okay now what what's the next big thing now you have your business running and you got 
to the point that everything is going as you wanted, I guess, like a passive income and whatnot. And, um, and now uh, somebody said, you know, always go for the thing that excites you the most. That's the next thing. What excites you the most? Don't, don't even think about if it's good or bad, because that, again, that's the dualistic mentality. Just go for the thing that excites yep. you the most and projects will pop and everything, you know, just when you're open and, and available for life. Uh, have you had any experience with psychedelics in the past? No, I haven't. Uh, someone else, a cousin of mine actually recommended Michael Pollan's book to me as well last summer. Um, and I definitely, you know, found it interesting, right? I mean, cause I read the, the back of the book and things like that and much, and she told me a lot about it. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, I was, I was kind of raised not, not in a religious household, but like just with morals, like, you know, drugs are under absolute no circumstances. Do you do drugs? And so like, it's always like this kind of jarring thing. Um, but I'm really intrigued, you know, like it just, I just, and the, the Sam Harris book I mentioned as well, mm-hmm. he talks about experiencing a lot of things that take 10 or 15 years of, of daily meditation practice to, to achieve. And he says, you can get them this way as well. And, you know, that's, that's really interesting. So, uh, I don't know. I don't know if that's in my future or not, but, uh, definitely something that I'm interested in. Mm-hmm. definitely check out the book uh, it will be it'll be amazing I would definitely like to chat with you once you read the book it'll be <laughs> a pretty insightful um but um so just to wrap this up a little bit what would you say it's the biggest lesson you've learned after all the interviews your own journey with your wife with your kids if you had somebody ask you like okay what's your message to the world like what what's matt's message to the world uh, wow. Okay. So, okay. I'm going to give you two answers for the first five years of a nomad athlete. I think the lesson that I most learned was something that it pick yourself, but there's a guy named Seth Godin, marketing author, um, somebody who I've had the pleasure of, you know, calling a mentor, just getting to do a few things, work with him and things. And like, just has had such a profound influence on me. But to me, the part of his philosophy that I love most is that he says, pick yourself, stop waiting to be picked, pick yourself. And that's, you know, speaking to the idea that with the internet and the connectedness now of the world uh, and the lack of gatekeepers that 10 or 15 years ago were, were, you know, in full positions of power. um, So many of those industries have been toppled to the idea, to the point that like anyone, literally, I mean, almost anyone with a computer and access to the internet can make giant drastic change in the world without anyone having to any single person or single small group of people having to say, you are good enough. We pick you. We're going to amplify your message. Now you, all you need to do is be good enough for to, to the audience that you're trying to appeal to. And if you are, then, you know, suddenly what you can do is, is, you know, without limit as far as mm-hmm. what you can do with your life. And that to me is just a super inspiring message when for, mm-hmm. for anyone who's kind of just thinks that like, Things have got to be a way. I've got to do this office job uh, because this is just sort of the way it is. You know, you got to pay the bills. You got to make money. Um, in many ways, that used to be true for, you know, 20, 30, 40 years ago, for sure. Uh, and now it's, it's really just not. Mm-hmm. So that I would say that, like, when I was really work-focused, that is what I learned. Um, in, the, in the past five years, since a lot of my focus has been more on personal things and a little bit less on work, um, or just kind of growing personally rather than just growing through a business. Um, you know, I've, I've thought so much about habit change and 
I don't have any real good answers as far as how do you do them? How, how do you create habits? How do you, how do you effectively do it? Like what are the hacks to make habits suddenly last? Um, I, I've come to realize that like the answer is not, do you do it gradually in small steps or do you take massive action and just go for it? You know, Tony Robbins style. Um, it, it really, really depends on the person and how motivated you are feeling, how much you want to make a change versus how much is a change that you kind of think you should make. Um, I, I deal with it all the time. I'm, I'm constantly struggling with trying to create new habits and figure out the best way. And I, I do a good job with it, but I'm, I'm just kind of coming to accept it. Like it, it's pretty hard to make change. It, it is something like it, it is hard. Um, but recently I've, I've found that like just taking responsibility for mm. everything is so, so important. Mm -hmm. Um, because then even when you fail at a habit, if you can take responsibility, because what I've realized, like I have two kids and I'm always trying to get them and, and they want to, like I, my son is a great soccer player and I'm like, well, you know, if you can just find a half hour a day to do this kind of hard work practice, you get a huge edge on anyone your age, eight years old. And so like a lot of my energy goes into helping him to develop habits. Um, and same with my daughter who had a similar story in gymnastics. Uh, but like, it's funny how every single week is a weird week. We, I think, well, that week we had spring break or that week he was sick. That week there was these school things that we had to go in. And I realized that like every single week, every single day, there is an excuse waiting for you if you want mm -hmm. to be mm -hmm. there. And, and a lot of times it might have, and I'm not trying to say then, so therefore don't ever let that excuse stop you. I'm saying recognize that, that these things that always seem like excuses. And I think for many people, cause them to never get anywhere because they're just stuck in this idea that like, well, I'll start this once things settle down or once this, but it, it, it's not going to settle down. It never does. There's always, you know, the new thing that's, that's in the way of you changing how things are. Um, and so recognizing that and saying like, yeah, I didn't do my stuff this week. And part of it had to do with the fact that we had school things, school events in the evenings, but I still didn't do my stuff this week. And that was a choice I made. And, and for me, that taking responsibility for things rather than blaming external circumstances, mm -hmm. even if you're in a situation where it feels like you truly have no control, if, I think if you can find a way to take responsibility, um, you know, you're going to be better off and empowered for it. And then that way you, you kind of even win when you fail because you, mm -hmm. you get a little bit stronger, I think, when you say, I didn't do what I was supposed to today, but, but that was me. You know, I chose not to do that. I think you're going to be better the next time as a result of just being responsible for it. Mm -hmm. yeah, beautiful. Beautiful two messages, and I think they link up pretty well. Uh, the last one, uh, I think it, it could be sum up in like extreme ownership, like the book of yep. Joko Williams, which yep. I love because of that message. You know, like it's a double-edged sword. It sucks because you're responsible for everything, even those things that you think that you're out of control. Yep. But it also gives you that freedom and that empowerment that you are responsible for whatever you want. And I think that's what you did. And that's what you said in the first answer that, you can create your future. If you have a computer nowadays or even a cell phone now, a smartphone, you can do whatever you want. And we're seeing it with 14-year-olds doing uh, big empires, I guess, online. Um, yep. It's been a pleasure uh, to have you on, on the podcast. Um, I'm excited to see where, where you'll be like in one year, uh, what will be the new habits you're trying to incorporate. By the way, what will you say is the hardest habit you're trying to incorporate that doesn't stick or you constantly sleep out? I mean, I mentioned meditation. That's, that's meditation. been the one, right? Cause a lot of them, I will, I will try them and then I'll let them go and say, well, that mm. didn't work. Yeah. Meditation is particularly hard because I, I really want to do it. And I just, that's why I come back to it all the time. 
So I have not figured that one out yet, but uh, you know, I will. <laughs> awesome. Okay. So, uh, well, maybe next time you're meditating, who knows? Uh, yeah, extreme habits, extreme uh, changes always come together. So uh, beautiful chat with you. And uh, I'll definitely add your links to the, to the description for your book, for your uh, uh, B12 complement and, um, and many more. Uh, I just want to thank you on behalf of all the plant-based community and future to be plant-based community because all the information you release, I was even looking at your la latest uh, episode of how to uh, gain muscle and, and lose fat. I think it's a very trendy topic and it's mm -hmm. awesome to, to have somebody with so much experience choosing like really awesome uh, guests to share it on online. And uh, I think that's what you do with a computer and passion. So thank you very much. Thank you, Jose. I really appreciate it. And I think that the work that you're doing also is really, really important. So I appreciate that you're doing it. Blessings.